The primary election is almost here. Vote centers will be open May 7th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Make your vote count. Visit vote.indy.gov for more information. This message was paid for by the Marion County Election Board. This guy on the line, Nate Atkins, who covers not that Nate Atkins here in Indy Star. We're talking about Nate Atkins up in Chicago covering the Bears for Bears Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Nate, have you ever seen a video of Justin Fields dunking and playing pickup basketball this offseason? <laughs> Hey, James. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I think I missed that. Have I seen Justin Field what? Dunk during a pickup basketball game this summer because we had that oh, happen here yeah, with Anthony no, Richardson. No, yeah. I, no, but there was, uh, I think it was last year, he hit a couple home runs when they went to Wrigley Field. So that was pretty cool. All right. So, I haven't seen him dunk a basketball. So basically, we just have to get AR on behind the plate like we said there's a line here between physical exertion that is acceptable and something that's like i mean really fair enough fair enough uh, before it looked I get cool it, though hey, it, it did cool. look really cool i mean james was there in person yeah no it was it was insane i was thinking wow yeah god just chose you to be a great athlete because i am not been blessed with any of that but um <laughs> jokes aside nate one of the things that i want to talk to you about and why i want to have you on the show is there's going to be these joint practices come August between the Bears and the Colts, but one of the things I find very interesting about that is I feel like we're looking at players who are very similar in skill set-wise in Anthony Richardson and Justin Fields, but Justin Fields is sort of in a different chapter of the journey. So how have you seen him maybe embrace more of a leadership role, grow from last season, and hopefully be in a better position than he was last year considering all the changes that were made to upgrade the team? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with Fields, there's been a couple of things. Um, I would say mentally he came in ready to be the starter as a rookie. I, I think with Matt Nagy and the group, they maybe slow walked that a bit. He, you know, he split time with Andy Dalton and, and Nick Foles. It took a while before he really got control of the team. And then last year, he right, he gets named the starter, but it's a new offense. So I think he's he's ready to be a leader and, and step up and run the team. And this will actually be nice for him consistency-wise. It's the same offense. He's the guy. Everyone knows he's the leader. And then they've brought in a couple of weapons. So I think, uh, you know, if you compare that to Richardson, I'm not sure what they're going to do in Indy, but I think, you know, Justin Fields obviously now knows he's going to be a captain. There's no more rotating captains. And this is his team and his offense that he gets to lead heading into this season. Where is the most expectations or pressure within that building is it on Justin Fields to to take a leap forward and the Bears to be somewhat successful because of it is it is it on Matt Eberflus or is it they know that it's going to be a up and down season this year despite the weapons they brought in the schedule's a little tough like they they might not have as good a year where is that baseline for them and where's the pressure riding the most in Chicago yeah, uh, can I say all of the above? <laughs> of course you um, can. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so I, I think I, I think the win total is set at like seven and a half, so maybe somewhere around there, which would be you know a big improvement from last year. I think offensively, yes, you do need to see Justin take a step forward. They brought in DJ Moore. Uh, however, people feel about Chase Claypool, he is an upgrade to what was there previously. And last year, you know, they had one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL, if not first, top five. So. Um, I think now if you can combine that with Justin throwing the ball, that'll look good. As far as the schedule, the schedule's tough, but I would say for the first time in a long time, you know, with that new guy being on hard knocks, the <laughs> NFC North is, is wide open, you know. So it, it 
I don't know. I, I think seven and a half could be pretty competitive in the NFC North, given you know Jordan Love and, and Kirk Cousins on the other two teams, and then of course Jared Goff in Detroit. That would be so interesting. Seven and a half. How many wins do you think wins the division? <laughs> you know, eight or nine. Honestly, I, I think. Yeah. That would be so funny to me. <laughs> I kind of want it to happen for the chaos. But um, one of the things I do want to touch on in regards to Justin Fields is the math when it comes to him being a dual threat quarterback. And obviously last year I think that you know, to my casual you know, Bears fan family back home and they're like, he runs too much. And I'm like, well, he had no one to throw to. The blocking was not that great. So, you know, there's some factors there, but – Having that capability, Nate, how much do you think that just elevates an offense when you put the proper pieces around it? Now, we don't know what it's going to look like just yet, but I would imagine it's better than last year. But when you have someone who can at least keep the defense honest with his running ability, how much does that maybe change what a defense can do? The dual threat is is huge, and, and especially with Justin. I, I would agree with, with your family that he, he probably ran too much. And also understandable that there's not much for him to throw to. But, you know, again, knowing that he has that in his skill set, I mean, he made some phenomenal runs last year, just electric. So I think, again, if he can take that leap forward throwing the ball and he still has that ability to run in his back pocket, it makes the Bears so much more dangerous. It makes him probably a top 15 quarterback, top 10 quarterback, if he puts it all together. So it's it's unreal to have that skill set that he has. Is this a prove-it year for him? Because obviously the questions going into the draft before the trade was made was, okay, is he the guy? Has he shown enough for them to trust him? Or would they select Bryce Young and move off from him? So, I mean, I from the outside looking in, I'm not sure the pairs are 100% sold on him being their franchise quarterback. And if not, how big is this season towards proving it or not proving it? Great question. I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I think it's a prove it ish kind of year. I would say if he takes a step forward, I think again people like what they see. Uh, last year, you know, the running ability really stood out. If he can step forward this year, I, I think if he's just good, not great, he gets another year. But I would say if it's the opposite and and he doesn't look any better or even regresses, I I think you could expect the Bears to try to make a move in the draft or in the offseason to find a quarterback to at least create some type of competition. But I don't know that, you know, he's on the hot seat. I wouldn't put it there yet. Right. Okay. How challenging does that answer become if the Bears don't have the luxury of not only their own first-round pick, but that first-round pick from Carolina, which it could basically put them within the, the top tier of the draft next year and have an opportunity at Caleb Williams if they needed to, if they needed to break that glass? How, how more difficult or less difficult does that answer about it being a proven year for him change if they did not have those assets? Yeah, again, a great question. I think you're right, and I think it's going to get really loud really quickly uh, in the media if, if he comes out and struggles, knowing that the Bears do have an opportunity to go up and get a guy like Caleb Williams. Uh, right, I, I think if they were sitting somewhere in the middle of the draft or maybe didn't even have a first-round pick like a couple years ago, you know, maybe Fields gets a little bit longer of a leash. But knowing that they have the, the draft assets that they do, knowing that you know a lot of people think highly of Caleb Williams, I do think, again, that pressure's on Justin, but I think if he plays well, you know, he's going to be the guy. You know, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus have come out and, and backed him, and I know people in the organization like him, but 
he's got to show something, right? He's got to show some type of progress now. I believe I think that's yeah. fair, you know. But one thing I'm also curious to know about Justin, away from the football side of it, how have you seen him handle the spotlight and the pressure of being the guy? Because that's one thing that obviously will be a factor here in Indianapolis is how do you handle it, Anthony Richardson, when things do not go well? And we know this league will humble you no matter how great you are to having some moments where it's rough or it doesn't look good. So how have you seen Justin Fields navigate that? And, and I'm just curious for myself to see, you know, maybe if I see similar things with Anthony Richardson this season. I think Fields is built for it. I, you know, and, and Richardson might likely be the same. You know, coming from those big programs like Ohio State, Florida, these guys get so much media attention and training. But I, I would say Justin's handled it really well. He's made himself a staple in the community. You know, he's gotten a bunch of endorsement deals going on already. I, if I think, you know, he's really only had one misstep, I think, where he might have critiqued the fans, you know, and, and saying they don't know what it's like to, to be on the field or something like that. But other than that, you know, everybody loves him in the community. He's handled a 3-13 and 13 season as well as he could. He says all the right things. He came into town talking about, you know, wanting to beat the Packers and, and flip the, the series win-loss. So I think he knows what he's doing. But, again, you know, the results have to start showing up. But he, he's handled it great. I tell you what, him criticizing the fans, saying they don't know what they're talking about, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. I love – when athletes clap back. When LeBron called his fans broke <laughs> after he lost the 2011 finals, that was the greatest interview ever. Like, <laughs> I wish more athletes could do that without being police, but that's just my two cents because I, I love it. I'm thinking, yeah, we probably don't know as much as we think we do. But, Jimmy, go ahead. I know you want to get no, more I, I, I just No, I just wanted to ask because I was looking at it closer and we were having a conversation a little bit earlier. Nate Atkins of the Bear Wires joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. We are having a conversation about running backs. That's the story on ESPN.com right now of how undervalued are they in the league. Uh, the Bears, like the Colts, have a lot of cap space to play with. Whether it is one of these running backs that are still out there right now, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin Cook perhaps, or going receiver with DeAndre Hopkins, is there any money left to be spent or a desire to spend any more money by the Bears this offseason? If they do, uh, it's going to be on defensive end, yeah. I would think. Uh, improving the pass rush right now, if you just look at the roster, there, there's not a lot of pass rush there. Um, there's some young guys, you know, Dominique Robinson, Trevis Gibson, but guys that need to prove themselves. Um Demarcus Walker came in from Tennessee, Rasheem Green from uh, Houston. A lot of guys, really, that are just guys. And I, I don't mean that to insult them, but they're not, they're not star pass rushers. You know, maybe sure. they can develop into something, but right now they're not. A name that's been talked about a lot has been uh, Yannick Ngakwe. So I, I think if the Bears spend money, it would likely be on a player like that. Yeah, I was going to ask about him because he's still a free agent, you know, switched agencies, all those things. He had a pretty productive year here in Indianapolis. A little bit left to be desired, but, you know, I think that he could probably be a pretty decent fit. But one guy I do want to mention, or I know it's going to be a fit. I don't know how good of a fit we'll find out. But DJ Moore, how important was it for them, the Bears, that is, to go out and at least try to add someone who's as dynamic as him to help raise the level of the team and obviously the raise level of the quarterback play because we've seen it. I'm not saying DJ Moore is A.J. Brown or any of these guys who kind of just, you know, Stephon Diggs, but, you know, he's a 1,000-yard receiver when healthy and a good player. So how much do you think that was a factor this offseason to try to help Justin Fields make that leap? 
It's huge. It's huge, James. I mean, people were talking about maybe we draft a guy. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was a guy a lot of people wanted or, you know, Quinn Johnston. But I think always, in my opinion, take a guy that's proven over a rookie. So uh, I love the pick. And I, I think this is the most excitement that's been around the Bears offense probably since the days of, you know, Jay Cutler, Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey. So Moore is electric. He's going to bring a lot to the Chicago offense. And I, I wrote a piece just kind of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, his 5,000 career receiving yards or whatever it is from Carolina would make him the all-time leading receiver on the Bears. So we've never had a great wide receiver, and it, it just I think everybody's excited to have him there. Nate, last thing on my end. I know that the Immaculate Grid has taken the country sports world by storm, but there's also been some copycats, including an NFL version. Um, As both a longtime Chiefs fans are growing up here in Indianapolis, I know your game's over, but you asked your Twitter following for assistance on potential Chiefs Colts crossover. Uh, Donnie Avery or Eric Fisher would have gotten you there. Oh, those are good. Eric Fisher. Wow. I never. Okay. I love that game, man. And then I found out there's another website that like copies it. So now I'm going to play it two times a day, but I love it. Yeah. Thanks for the help. (laughs) Absolutely. No problem. (laughs) Last one from me, Nate. Are we going to see Justin Fields, Anthony Richardson in that preseason game? Or will it be one of those things where we just dissect the joint practices and the fans don't maybe get rewarded with actually seeing them in the real game? I think Fields is going to play. Um, I don't know what the Colts are going to do with Richardson, but I, I have a feeling Fields is going to play. Um, again, this, he's young. They they want to get him snaps. They want to get him, you know, as much of that game type of experience, experience with the offense as possible. So if Richardson plays, we'll get that matchup. So I, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to blame Indy for that. All right, we'll take that. I'll make sure to talk to Shane Steichen and get it all squared away. You know, hey, we want to see this. So, um, Nate, thanks for your time. Also, thanks for switching your schedule around. I got the day mixed up. He's supposed to be on tomorrow, and he texts me, and I'm like, oh, my bad. Let's figure this out. I'll find somebody else. And he's like, no, I got you. So, he's so clutch. You know what I mean? Like, I I need You need that from from real friends. I appreciate that, Nate. That's right. I mean, I was just playing crossover grid anyways. (laughs) Good dude. All right, man. You take it easy, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Jake Arthur on the line, who covers the Colts for Sports Illustrated, Locked On Colts podcast, all of the above. Jake, how you doing? Hey, hey, man. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. And as we were discussing, when we get down there to camp in a couple of weeks, it's going to be, I think, very intense because it'll be the first time Anthony Richardson is throwing in front of the Indianapolis public. And so for you, Jake, what things are you going to be looking for, perhaps on that first day when it comes to him in particular? Yeah, I mean, we've obviously seen some shaky quarterback play in the past. You know, there was there was the summer where Carson Wentz was out, and it was Jacob Eason versus Sam Ellinger. Uh, so, you know, he's he's not a polished passer quite yet. Uh, the chemistry's not there yet because he's a rookie. So, I'm just kind of looking for improvement. Uh, you can you can speak to this as well. We we've definitely seen the athleticism during OTAs and minicamp. Uh, I'm just you obviously want to see that, but you want to see improvement as a passer. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be at least a couple guys that he syncs up with pretty quickly. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking for, and an ability to move the offense as well. Because, I mean, the, we, I think we know the defensive, defensive line is better, so it's going to wreak havoc. But you just want to be able to see some sort of cohesion and movement from the offense. 
Jake, I know you saw it because you'd mentioned it on Twitter as well, but Jim Ursay made the appearance on the Pat McAfee show the other day, and I had the same conversation with Mike Chappell that we're having with you now, which is, I know you can only take with a grain of salt so much of what Jim Ursay makes public to the media, but as you were taking in those comments about how he, which I agree with, in order to get better, you need to have playing time available for Anthony Richardson, but as you look at that... How much, if anything, is there to take stake of, or does it change any of your outlook on where this quarterback conversation is going to be once training camp arrives? Yeah, so I, I think their ultimate goal is for Richardson to be ready week one as the starter. Uh, I don't think they're going to force it. Obviously, they're you know if he doesn't look ready, then they're not going to do it. Uh, with that said, I, I would expect him to have a package of plays right away if 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 he's not the starter week one. Uh, because they all have said, you know, you learn and, and get experience by playing. And that's really been – that was his knock in college. It wasn't that he was super raw. It was that he was super inexperienced for the most part. Uh, so I think they definitely want to get him out there. Uh, to start out training camp, I imagine the rotation is going to be pretty similar to how it was all spring. Uh, I think Minshew will get the the initial reps with the first team, and then Richardson comes up after uh, something we've seen in the past is like someone will get basically like a whole week of practices as the first starting guy, and then the, the next quarterback will take the initial reps with the ones. I, I kind of feel like that's how it's going to be. Uh, and then by maybe like the the third week of training camp, we might we might get a better idea of where the coaching staff is is analyzing this. I think by then we'll probably start to see a little more. Uh, maybe a little more definition in how the race is really going between Menchu and Richardson. I find that fascinating because I just feel like every step of the way there's going to be so much tension and Shane Steichen's going to be like, no, I don't want to give it, give any leash or, or any rope to any of those things. And so we'll see how it all plays out. But one thing I do want to touch on with you, Jake, is how do you see the wide receiver room just being healthy maybe giving us a better picture of what to expect with either quarterback because that was one of the things that we talked about. We were kind of standing there during OTAs and veteran minicamp. It was like, who's that catching the ball? And no disrespect to them, it was just like Alec Pierce wasn't out there for a couple practices. Pippen wasn't out there. Jelani Woods wasn't out there. So how much do you think that will help not even just us but the Colts evaluate the quarterback position? Uh, I think that will be critical because you're right. It seemed like pretty much everyone was out and you include the running backs as well. Jonathan Taylor wasn't out there, Zach Moss. So it's really hard to evaluate from that standpoint. I think it affects Richardson a lot more because uh, Minshew throughout his career has been someone who is really efficient and takes what the defense gives him. Uh, so he doesn't necessarily need to lock on to like one big primetime pass catcher. He just kind of spreads it around anyways. Uh, I, I think it definitely affects Richardson a little more, but they'll give him a grain of salt on that. I I think they'll probably center things more around the run in that instance, uh, assuming Jonathan Taylor is, is back and healthy. Um, but, yeah, that, that definitely hurts evaluation quite a bit because another thing is you don't really get to evaluate the offensive line as well. And then so if there's constant pressure coming and the offensive line is collapsing – and the normal pass catchers aren't out there, then it's super hard to evaluate. And then you almost have to rely on the preseason games rather than the practices. 
How much pressure when you look at individual players on this Colts roster is there on Shaq Leonard to not only have a productive season but actually get on the field this year? And is there anybody outside of maybe the quarterback position that holds more of that strenuous circumstances and pressure around them than Shaq this year? Uh, yeah, it's pretty big with Leonard because if, if he's out, then you're looking at Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed as your primary linebackers. And this would be the biggest role that Speed has ever had to step into. Uh, and then after those guys, no one has extensive experience on defense. So it's it's pretty important that Leonard gets out there at some point. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on Kenny Moore as well because uh, this is such a young cornerback group now, and he's really the only one with – any sort of extensive experience. So if he's not performing at a high level or if he gets banged up or anything, uh, it could be pretty ugly defending the pass for the Colts. Uh, And then on the offensive line as well. Uh, The Colts kind of boldly went into this offseason doing the same things they did last offseason, kind of relying on a couple of guys to develop and be ready to be the starters. Bernard Ryman and Will Fries this year. I uh, went really, really poorly to start out last year. So they're taking a big gamble, not really putting a lot of pressure on those new starters now. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but the offensive line is going to be really critical because it just kind of lacks depth and is really reliant on a couple young guys. You talked about the defensive backs. Could we expect sort of a bounce back year from – Julian Blackman as well. I know we talked a lot about Kenny Moore, but I feel like Julian Blackman is also in a position where he's going into a contract year. He didn't have the best season last year, had some injuries, but now he's going over to strong safety. So how do you think he'll maybe embrace that role and potentially use it to prove that he belongs in Indy and has a chance to stay here after his contract expires? Yeah, for sure. I mean, his thing throughout his career, unfortunately, has been health. He's kind of... He came in the league with the ACL and then had an Achilles. Uh, But for him, I think the switch to strong safety will really suit him well. Uh, Now, he had a really strong training camp last year as the free safety. Uh, But I think when he's playing best is when things are in front of him, like what will be happening more often when he's at strong safety. Uh, He's really aggressive at attacking downhill. Uh, You see games like against the Titans, for example, he really rises to the challenge and wants to to get dirty and, and, you know, get rough and, and stuff like Derrick Henry. Uh, so I think this will really fit. And we saw last year when he moved to nickel, when Kenny Moore was out, he played at a really high level. Uh, so I think for him it's pretty important uh, because Rodney Thomas, we've got to assume he's going to take a step up. Uh, just about anything for Nick Cross will be a step up. So Julian Blackman, there are guys there to replace him if he doesn't have a strong season when it comes to free agency. Uh, So this is big for him, but I I think he'll step up to the challenge because, I mean, again, health has been his issue throughout his career, not necessarily performance. So I think he'll be, I think he'll be good. Uh, He, you know, when he was in college, he played all over the secondary. So this really isn't going to be any, any new territory for him. I, I expect a big season as long as he stays healthy. You mentioned not a lot of changes to the Colts' offensive line and the the boldness to you know kind of trust what they have in house to hopefully have bounce back years and t- that Tony Sperano Jr. is able to potentially get more out of them. What was seen last year, but another position group where there were a handful of changes. Jake Arthur, Sports Illustrated, locked on Colts with us here on the Fan Midday Show. There were a handful of changes that took place in the wide receiver room. Isaiah McKenzie coming in, the selection of Josh Downs, but in terms of 
where the top options are going to be in that room. Not a ton of big changes within where things are at with, say, Michael Pittman Jr. or Alec Pierce. As you look at that room, last couple years for me, it's like, well, look who's throwing the ball. We haven't really seen the true potential of that room. Do you see it that same way? And is there a likelihood for, for more balance and you know lack of excuses needed to defend this wide receiver room by the time we get to the middle of this season? Yeah, I I think it's going to be natural for those guys to kind of step up as long as the offensive line, you know, isn't as bad as it was to start last season. Uh, I think someone like Alec Pierce and and Jelani Woods especially, I think they really fit well with what Richardson did in college. Uh, Kind of sporadic when it came to his his short and intermediate accuracy, Uh, but he was really good at throwing downfield, and that's obviously where Pierce excels. Uh, But we saw that with Michael Pittman as well in 2021 with Carson Wentz. Uh, There was just really no pushing the ball downfield whatsoever last season. Uh, So assuming the Colts, especially under Shane Steichen, which has been a staple of his offenses throughout his career, assuming that's something they want to do, I I think that fits pretty well with Richardson. Uh, And really Minshew as well. Like like I mentioned earlier, he kind of spreads the ball around and takes what the defense gives him. Uh, But if you watch the Eagles last year, for example – He's not afraid to, to go downfield as well and give it to some guys who excel getting those contested catches. And Pittman and Pierce are, are a couple guys that really stand out in that area. Jake, let's take a look at, I think, a topic that will loom over the Colts until it's resolved, even more so than Pittman's contract, JT's contract extension negotiations. If you are the GM, put your GM hat on, what are you offering Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, so this one's tricky because obviously the whole running back market across the league is, is kind of muddy right now. Uh, but with the Colts and especially Chris Ballard, uh, positional value hasn't really been something that's been a huge issue. Like they're willing to pay guys who play non-premium positions. You know, Shaquille Leonard and Quentin Nelson both play positions that you wouldn't necessarily say are cornerstone. Uh, so I think they want to get something done with Taylor. Um, if you think he resets the market, then that would probably look like $16, 17000000 million per year. Uh, I think if you can get him around 14 or so instead, uh, that's realistic. But it's, it's interesting to see that they haven't got anything done yet because uh, the running back market, you know, your top three or so guys are making $14, 15000000 million a year. And the rest are really around $10 million. So you've kind of got hard lines of, of where you might want to go. So I can't imagine it's going to go on too much longer. You know, I, I mean, Taylor's not someone who's been, like, hurt throughout his career, and you know exactly what he can be when he's at his peak. Um, so if it were me, I'm not usually a big pay-the-running-backs guy, uh, but I don't think this offense is going to be at its full potential and especially getting Anthony Richardson along and, you know, showcasing him to his fullest extent, unless you have Jonathan Taylor out there as well. Um, so considering the quarterback they just drafted, I would make the investment in Taylor. If they don't have an extension decided upon before the season starts, and let's say it never gets out publicly, but it's clear as the season rolls on that they're having him play through this contract before they make a decision, to me the likelihood – increases tenfold of them using a tag next offseason versus a long-term extension getting done if they don't do what you think and I think and James thinks they ultimately will do, which is come to an agreement before things get started 
week one. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense. It's what we're seeing with Saquon Barkley right yeah. now. And, you know, coming off such a night and day season from the year before, you know, had arguably the best season a Colts running back has ever had in 2021. And then just the whole thing kind of went off the rails last year. It wasn't necessarily his fault. The whole offense was, was bad. Right. But if they want to see, you know, what does the difference look like or – in 2023, does he look more like the best running back in the league, or does he look like he's lost a step? I understand if they want to see that one more year before making that investment, but I don't really think you're going to be dishing out like a five-year deal to a running back anyways. So I think it's probably smarter to go ahead and just get it done now, but you never know in this league. It, it seems like the whole league kind of makes these decisions together at once. And running backs are kind of the enemy right now when it comes to to contracts. Yeah, you bring that up. There was a story we talked about to open the show from ESPN.com by Bill Barnwell regarding what's happening with running backs right now. And you look at the collection of running backs that were moved on from from their prior teams, Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, you could throw in there as well. And they've still all been unsigned. They are also all in that age range, though, of – 25, 26, 27 year olds that apparently once you hit that 27 mark, that's the new, you know, growing up when we were kids, 30 or over is where you really start <laughs> to get worried about running back. Yep. That's that shifted now three years over time. How much does that benefit, if at all, Jonathan Taylor, at least in terms of a short term deserved payday he deserves, if it's a three year or four year deal where He's still in that sweet spot right now as a 24 year old. I know he has all the mileage from Wisconsin, but he's not quite in that gloom doom sky is falling area that 27 year old running backs are in this league right yeah it it does work to his benefit that he's still a little bit on the younger side and so let's say it is just one more year and he blows up and has another 1500 plus yards or 15 touchdowns what have you and looks like jonathan taylor uh, i think that's huge for him because then i think you definitely reset the running back market with him you know uh right now for him you know, the the contract is just going to be, you just don't know. Because obviously, you know, they haven't gotten anything yet. So yeah. you've got to think the Colts aren't like dying to get this done right now. Um, so honestly, I do think it benefits him the most to have one year left and showcase what he can do. Um, the Colts, if I were them, I'd probably do it now because I think his price is only going to go up. It seems more likely that he'll have a good year as opposed to a down one because the offense in general can really only go up. And Anthony Richardson as a runner is is quite different than Matt Ryan. Uh, So I think the the threat of Jonathan Taylor is a lot more potent now than than it is last year. James, I feel slimy and gross in being the team owner saying this, but if that happens, then you tag him. I mean, that's I I hate to say it, but if if that happens and you gamble that he's going to have a bad year and he has a great year, you can either reset the market, which... I don't think that's a bad idea at all, Jake. I think you see teams do that from time to time. Or if he's asking too much money, there's the tag. Call Saquon, see how things are doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got an agent now that is very familiar with clients who have reset the market. I mean, sure. Shaquille, Shaquille Leonard with that $20 million a year at linebacker. I mean, same agent, so we'll see. And speaking of Shaquille Leonard, do you think that this is a potential prove-it year for him because of – the out that they have next year where they could, in theory, release him if he isn't back to who he is, 
It will be an $8 million cap hit. You would save $12 million in savings that you can use elsewhere. And then you wouldn't have to pay the remaining, let's just say, 40 I believe. Maybe it might be more than that on his contract. So how do you view that as far as what this season means for Shaq Leonard and his future in Indianapolis? No, I mean, it's it's definitely got to be a prove-it year because it's, it's not like he's on a cheap deal or anything. He's making the most money of any linebacker. So, I mean, we just got off a season where he was only able to play in three games and only really completed one of them, but he was on a pitch count. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's huge because the money that he's being paid is just too steep to go forward not knowing how he's going to perform. And, you know, I, I think the fact that they allowed Bobby O'Karake to walk because of the money that Leonard was already making, um, that's very telling. You know, they, they they just can't sit and wait forever, you know. As much as they would want to be patient and wait for him to return, you know, they just basically gave him a whole season of that. You, you can't do it twice. Um, so hopefully for him, uh, he's able to get back on the field. Whether he'll ever look like he used to in 2018, 2019, we'll see. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, this is just kind of a messy situation where he's just making too much money not to play. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how he looks health-wise. I mean, I'm not going to put anything past Shaq, and I will say this, and we've talked about this, Jake. He cares about football so much, so he's not sitting out because he's pouting or he wants to retire or he thinks that, you know, he's made enough money, he wants to just rest on his laurels like that guy breathes football and so I know it hurts him to not be out there and competing but at the same time like you said you have to kind of look at it from sort of a cutthroat perspective you're a team where it's about the team your franchise in that future but to move off of Shaq I do want to pivot to maybe a more positive topic and maybe one that's a little more concrete but who do you think I would say besides Jelani Woods because I feel like he's a good pick for a potential breakout year from a player on the Colts, who do you think that sleeper pick could be? Ooh, I like it. Uh, let's see. You're talking offense or defense, right? Offense or defense or special teams. I mean, if you think that, uh, okay. you know, Matt Gay is going to have a all-time <laughs> great season at field goal, you know, and, you know, make the most field goals in the league, which would not be a good thing for the Colts because you want to score touchdowns. But, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, so I think either Alec Pierce or Josh Downs are kind of easy choices, but I'll, I'll go on the defensive side of the ball. I think either Dallas Flowers or Darius Rush are really mm. going to stand out and really own one of those outside cornerback spots. I mean, we I think we can kind of pencil in Juju Brents and then Kenny Moore as two of the top three, but I think the other side of it is going to be versus Flowers or Rush. And Rush really had a great spring you know he had a great spring for the Colts before he left for the hamstring um I, I'm really intrigued by that one I think both of those they're both big athletic explosive guys uh they've both got ball skills I'm really interested to see those two go at it and I think whichever one of them wins out because they're both super talented I think they'll have a big season because I mean outside of Indianapolis expectations for either of them are you know they're probably non-existent a lot of people don't know who they are uh, so I'm really intrigued to see which one of those two guys will step up. Whether the other GMs in the AFC South want to admit it or not, the Jacksonville Jaguars believe that they have the next iteration of a dominant 
coach and quarterback duo that the Colts had for so long during the Peyton Manning years with Manning and Dungy. And now in Jacksonville, it's Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. And it's clear the rest of the South, rightfully so, is chasing them. You saw that alone in the selections that were made in the early goings of the NFL draft. Three quarterbacks taken in division off the board. Exclusively with the Colts here, when you look at this season and what it could mean, in all likelihood, they're not going to challenge Jacksonville for the division this year. But what is a successful, we are keeping pace, we are not allowing a gap, the likes that we saw during the Manning days, everybody else in this division to form? Yeah, so I think if the Colts, you know, win about seven or eight games, that's, you know, finish around 500, that's probably good. Because I don't have sky-high expectations. It's a really young team, and for once, I think it's it'll be good for them to just breathe and accept the fact that they kind of need to reset things a little bit. However, we like there's a difference between teams that aren't very good. There's teams that are competitive, but there are some times the Colts got on the field last year. You know, really last year and a half that were unbelievable to watch. Like just they never even it felt like they were never even prepared to get on the field. I think if they eliminate those performances where it looks like they do not belong playing against another NFL team and they're actually competitive with regularity and you see a lot of improvement from these young guys cuz they're going to have they're going to have their bumps like we shouldn't expect them to be a playoff team. Uh some of these guys are going to make, you know, rookie mistakes, but does it look like they're getting better? Does it look like there's optimism? That's that's what I'm leaning on. I'm not saying it's playoffs or bust by any means because I think it's finally time for some patience. Uh, they, they finally did some self-scouting and realized they're not as far ahead as they thought. They don't just need one veteran quarterback to get them back to the playoffs. So I'm just kind of looking for them to eliminate those total stinker games, and I want to see improvement from the young guys. Jake, last one from me. Who's winning in a game of horse? You or Anthony Richardson? <laughs> Uh, well, I saw your video, and uh, I'd be pretty good at hitting the floor before Richardson ever left his feet. So I'm going to say that Richardson would be pretty good at horse. Now I can shoot, so in 21, it's him. It's him, no doubt. And horse, maybe I have a chance because I can shoot a little bit, but I can't do some of those things athletically that he can. So I'm I'm going to give it to him either way in the landslide. That's all right. I, I would have picked you. Okay. I Two versus that. one. We, we'll, we'll, we'll take them down together. But um, <laughs> jokes aside, man, I'm looking forward to seeing you out at camp. Obviously, it'll be a great time and very exciting time here in Indianapolis for the Colts, or at least over in Westfield. So I'll see you soon, my friend. Absolutely looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Tony East NBA joins us. T East NBA on Twitter. Tony East taking some time with us. Talking all things Pacers and Summer League. Before we go there, Tony, from your perspective on your day-to-day, what, if anything, makes your brain go into straight panic mode of, oh, no, I've made a mistake, or, oh, no, this happened. I I need to adapt and fix this on the fly. Uh, I write in the system, James, so I I live on the edge. Lord, have mercy. Don't do that. Don't. I'm like stressed for you. Don't do that. <laughs> so I, I use Google Docs to to copy edit, and uh, I was panicking me up like one time because I accidentally deleted a full story. I had to go back into an old Google Docs form to find it. But thankfully, it was there. It was all good. Um, anytime a push notification comes on social media that just mentions the Pacers, I just panic because it means I might have to immediately start working, <laughs> even though even though it could just be nothing. That would be my panic thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I've shared mine. Like I said, it's the same thing that, that that happened here in this segment. I've just I was so locked into what we we're doing, and then it's like, oh man, I got to make that phone call. It's like, oh, we're. But hey, we have Tony East as expected, <laughs> and Tony, as we shift back towards normal day to day operations, James and I talked about this a couple segments ago, but. With where Summer League is at and the observations that we're taking away from it, at this point, Jairus Walker, I don't want to label as good as advertised, but if Build you're looking a for a locked-in bright spot statue incoming, uh, it's Jairus Walker, no? Oh, I would definitely say as good as advertised. He's been awesome. I mean, even last night he had a rough first half and was really good in the second half. And the thing that impressed me last night, this happened with Matherin last year too. It's like the first couple games, right, all the returnees are playing and they're getting their reps and touches. And then when they go away, the rookies get the ball more. And last night you saw Point Jarris for a couple possessions where he's like running four or five pick and rolls and doing all this stuff. And, hey, that was sometimes awesome and sometimes awful. But the fact that it was sometimes awesome, I think, should be encouraging for the Pacers that it wasn't just a total disaster because they have some faith in his ability to, to handle the ball and pass. And his defense has just been ridiculous. Like, the dude is blowing up every third play, it feels like, with his hands or with his size. So, to me, all the stuff you would have hoped Jairus Walker could do or would do in summer league between the defensive upside and – the shot creation, just handling the ball in general has all kind of happened and uh, as advertised and more to me. And I think that's been super encouraging for them. And he's been uh, the guy that I think is the most worthy of discussing from Summer League, even though a lot of the returnees were, you know, as expected or better than expected. We've talked about how athletic the Pacers are with the addition of Obi Toppin. Obviously, they have Isaiah Jackson who can jump out the gym, Benedict Matherin. But I feel like there's going to be some Jairus Walker highlights on both ends because he is really perhaps more athletic than I thought, you know, just seeing it on video in an NBA sort of setting. Now we know it's not the real NBA, it's summer league, but a couple of those blocks, Tony, we just obliterates the ball. I'm like, wow, like how did that happen? So when you were out there in Vegas, did it feel like it? Did it feel like those were like momentum swinging moments where one play could kind of change the tenor of the game? Yeah, it did. And the funny thing about his athleticism is I think it's more surprising to me because he doesn't have the build of an athletic guy. Like he looks like, like Chad Buchanan said, he looks like a linebacker. And like, I agree with that. His shoulders are huge. He's wider. He he has that football player type build, but he can jump jump at the gym. And I'm here on uh, July 13th to coin them the Showtime Pacers this season because with Halburn's passing and all these athletic dudes, they're going to be a highlight factory. It feels like at times this season and Jairus is, is certainly adding himself to the mix. Like, some, some of the rim rockers he had last night, he had one off a pass from Isaiah Wong. That was sick. Like, it, it's just, I, you know, you, you kind of saw that at Houston, but not as much as I think we've already seen at Summer League. And it's not something that I, like, thought was an advertisement for him when he was in the pre-draft process is his athleticism. But certainly, like, you can't be as good on defense as he is in terms of rotating and timing unless you are athletic and quick enough to actually make rotations and be in the right spot. So even though it's not, like, the thing everybody thinks of when – they talk about Jairus Walker and what he could be for the Pacers. Certainly showed off a lot of that uh, in these couple games. Yeah, he was balling out. But aside from him, who I don't even know if he's going to play every single summer league game because we're starting to see some of the better players kind of taper off because they've shown enough to their management or whatever. For my viewership, I would love to see him keep playing. But <laughs> how important do you think these moments are for the other guys that are draft picks, you know, Isaiah Wong and Ben Shepard to continue to get reps and just get comfortability in an NBA setting? Yeah, getting reps and getting reps together, right? I think that's the biggest part of the re- returning players. Obviously, them getting reps and looking better is important, but 
like for Nemhard and Matherin and, and Isaiah Jackson, getting to play with the rookies was was valuable and, and helping them kind of grow into summer league was important. And now, like I, this evolved throughout all of summer league. Like I just talked about it with Jarris Walker. I don't I don't think he'll play all five games. Uh, James, you were there last year. Matherin didn't play all five last year, correct? Like no, they, yeah, it's just they don't they don't typically do that. So these rookies keep seeing their role expand, right? Where they can get more reps. We just saw Isaiah Wong become the starting point guard last night after coming off the bench the first two games. And he looked pretty good. He was probably their best creator for like the entire game and made seven shots and made like looked pretty solid. And, you know, Ben Shepard had a good game and a bad game and a bad game. Like what's he going to look like when his role is bigger and Jairus is done all that kind of stuff. I think is really valuable for these guys that their role is dynamic and changing from game to game. And, uh, that they're playing with different guys, building chemistry with different guys who may or may not be on their team this coming season. But, like, I don't think Walker's going to play all five. I don't know about Shepard and the, and the two-way guys, but, you know, their role will expand. They'll get more chances going forward. I think that's really valuable for them to just kind of see where they're the most comfortable because Shepard looking his best as, like, an off-ball shooter, for example, playing with the best guys on the team in that second game is certainly what you'd hope he could be if you're the Pacers in his best setting. Whereas if he's like asked to create shots, you're not going to expect as much from him. So you'll still learn a lot about them, but I think that's kind of the value of these later games coming up. Tony East with us covers the Pacers for SI.com. Tony, I apologize for this to be a deposition style question to lead off, but just to get a baseline (laughs) here with you, Yes or no, you are in the camp that we can't really overreact or overreact one way or the other negatively or positively to Summer League. Are you in that camp? I am definitely in that camp. I think Summer League's about skills, not uh, impact. If you remember how good Chris Dunn was in Summer League, that's all the evidence I need to present on either side. Okay, so shifting towards <laughs> a larger, I like how you brought evidence into it. I appreciate that. Uh, you, you can have your defense rest and any other uh, puns you want to throw in there. But for... The Pacers and Benedict Matherin, it wasn't great at times. And I get that the goal probably of him for Summer League was not only to you know get some summer minutes in there, and it had been quite a long time since we've seen a number of Pacers dating all the way back to April on a basketball court, but it was clear they wanted him to, to run and dictate the show at times when he was out there, and the returns weren't ideal at least from a efficiency standpoint and flow of the offense standpoint I don't want to overreact one or the other either but from your vantage point is that concerning is it nothing or were there actually real positives there that you saw from his time at summer league the positives for me were his defense if I had to start there like I think he defended better and he had some good pick and roll defense moments especially with Jarris which I thought was noteworthy for the Pacers, yeah, of course. He was, what was he, four for 16 in the second game and nine for 21? I should know that. Uh, in the first game, the efficiency was, was not good. And I think a, part of it was that he was forcing it, right? Like he would drive into three guys consistently and still aim for his shot and instead of passing. And that was certainly, that was the most concerning, if I had to say concerning. That would be the most concerning thing to me is the thing I was looking out for the most for him in Vegas was can he show a little bit more passing on the offensive end? Because, you know, that, like, obviously he's a scorer. I don't think anyone expects him to be a passer for the Pacers this year. But it changes the way you're guarded if you can, like, create a good shot for your team in multiple ways when you have the ball. And my evidence would be the games we saw him play because the other team was like, oh, he's going to shoot, and there's four seconds on the shot clock. Let's send three guys to this guy, and all of a sudden he can't do anything. And in the second game, he had six assists and. So, you know, the, I think the the number is good. The the style of those assists, I want to say five of them were either like dump offs in the lane or extra passes. And 
that is still like they're not like he's creating the shot, but that's still really valuable for him to have to me is to know that, hey, if you swing to the corner, like the shot's going to be better. Or like, hey, if you drive and you're cut off, that means the big man right next to you is wide open. Like that is stuff that I think he needed to be working on. So to see that in the second game I thought was good, even though for a lot of the time I think you're right that, you know, it felt like the efficiency wasn't there and it felt like he was certainly forcing it into traffic sometimes. And sometimes that's his best skill, right? Like getting to the line as much as he did as a rookie is unheard of. I think that bodes well for his future that he's willing to attack and draw contact in that way. But I still think there's an element of decision-making that he has to work on that he didn't really show out in Vegas, even though in second game some of that passing was a little bit better. Somebody asked me this earlier in the week, Tony. I want to propose it to you. For this team to be successful, not just this coming season, but knowing they were successful with drafting and and establishing via trades with Tyrese Halliburton, this core, what does Benedict Matherin need to be? Because for me, in a perfect role with where they drafted him and what he could potentially be, he's the second or first player on this team, depending on who you want to crown as that. I'd say Tyrese is probably that in in most conversations. But either way, even if it's 1A, 1B, you need him to meet Tyrese somewhere. And you look at the great successful duos that are playing off of one another, even in today's NBA, whether you want to you know, look at roles that are accepted with someone like the Miami Heat, where it's Jimmy Butler clearly running the show, but there are people that he can rely on, or you go out with the Nuggets, and yes, Jokic is an animal and a, you know, a point center, if you want to call him that at times, with his passing ability. But Jamal Murray knows where he needs to be and is valued just as much in terms of just being another playmaker. It's a long way of asking you, what does Benedict Matherin need to be in this Pacers rebuild in order for it to have worked? Yeah, just as zoomed out as possible from like an impact perspective, I think looking at the Nuggets is a decent assembly just because Jokic is obviously amazing, but he sets their whole identity. Like they play their whole style around the way he plays, around the things he's good at on both ends. And I think the Pacers are leaning into that with Halliburton. And, you know, they've made that very clear this summer with, you know, the addition of guys who thrive in transition. And, you know, I joked about the Showtime Pacers thing, but, like, they're going to run and be thrilling when Tyrese Halliburton has the ball. And so can can Matherin, like, hit the Jamal Murray tier of player where he can be, like, when Tyrese Halliburton's not in the game, he can be the creator or the scorer or just a, a typical tone setter type. And, you know, he, he definitely has the abilities to score. Like we saw it last year at his best, especially he was really great, but you know, he, his defense isn't quite good enough, to like lead lineups quite yet. And, and obviously I don't think Murray's is either, but he fits in a little bit better with some of the stuff the Nuggets do and he can shoot and pass and Matherin can only kind of do either of those things. So he's definitely going to have to get better at more like, team-oriented skills beyond his scoring if he wants to be that second guy because then he could play a lot better with Halliburton, even though I think they paired pretty well last year, and he can lead the team and he isn't in the game for a few minutes, which I think is just as important if you're looking for that kind of 1A, 1B partnership. I do think he's the best candidate on the team to be that guy uh, as it stands right now, and for, for that to happen, it's just got to be adding other non-scoring skills. Right? I think he knows that. He always talks about wanting to be the best two-way player in the NBA, and that's going to take a lot of defensive growth, and especially on the team defense front, and that's going to take some shooting or passing growth, likely both. So he's got a ways to go. Like I don't think that's going to happen this year at all. Um, but that, that's the kind of player type or facsimile I would make for him. There's going to take a lot of conditioning as well because whenever I think of two-way players, yeah. I'm like, man, the best ones. Like mm-hmm. Kobe was in tip-top shape for like a decade plus but you know that's just my two cents on the matter but I do think one of the players that we haven't really talked about that much because 
you know, the Tyrese extension, the draft picks, the additions of, you know, free agents. Miles Turner, where does he fit into all of this from your perspective, Tony? I think, think Miles Turner had a great summer, James, because he's not in trade rumors for the first time in, in five years. Don't let the Lakers years. hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Lakers fans. <laughs> but he's got to feel, like, refreshed almost. And the, the on-court thing I think that was good for his summer is they didn't add any other centers, and the guys they did add really, like, add to what he does, right? Like, he won't have to do everything on defense this year like he had to at times last year because, like, there, there's a credible lineup the Pacers can put on the floor of, like, Nemhard, Walker, Neesmith, and uh, I don't know, Bruce Brown, right? Where it's like, that's five good defenders, and that's a lineup that makes sense, and all of a sudden Turner's like not overburdened, and you can actually do good things with him, and at the same time, on the offensive end, there's no one who's going to replace what he did last year, so he's still in a good position to be a good pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop thread, and be around the ball more often, be a be a useful screener. Like I think Walker might take some screen opportunities from him, but I don't think that's Obi Toppin's game necessarily. So I think Miles Turner's in a great spot. The summer was I think probably good for him mentally and of course, like I just said, like all the on court fit stuff. Like of course we're gonna talk about Tyrese Halburn with all that because and he's the partner with the franchise. He just got two hundred and sixty million dollars. He's the best player. But a lot of the fits also go well with Turner and you know, the fact that the team was so good when both Halbert and Turner played last year, the fact that they're now better around those two guys, I think is important. And, you know, Turner's not going into a contract year anymore. He's not extension eligible. He's not on the trade market. Like, it's weird that that was, like, all the conversation around him since they got Sabonis starting five, basically, like five years ago. So uh, this had to be such a refreshing summer for him, and I think it's good that he's in such a good situation now going forward. I'm not going to put you completely on the spot, but I do want to know, if the Pacers are a playoff team next year, like clear-cut top six team, is it out of the realm of possibility? Because I would assume that Tyrese Halliburton has made a second all-star appearance. Is it out of the realm of possibility for Miles to at least be in those conversations if they have the season that they're plan on having where they're in playoff contention and they're hoping to kind of get back to what it means to, to have postseason basketball here in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's possible Tyrese is just good enough and that Bruce Brown's a good enough addition that they just are naturally better enough with, like, very little internal growth. But I would imagine if they're firmly a playoff team, like you just kind of said, that it means that Turner was just as good again. Like, you need that center play for a full regular season. And the last time he was at that level, like, uh, the beginning of two and a half seasons ago now, um, the first year of Carlisle, like, he had the 40-point game in the second game. He was – probably in the mix like when I wrote about the Pacers potential all-stars that year I included him because he was playing well enough and then he got hurt and only played 42 games that year and they traded their whole team but I think it's possible he gets into that mix for sure I don't think he ever will be one um just like he doesn't have the game that is typically thought of in that way which is kind of a lazy way to describe that but uh, I don't think he ever will be but I think that if like this could be a great year for him to be in that mix given what the Pacers roster is and you know, typically the narratives are more positive surrounding teams that are exceeding expectations. So if they are a playoff team, I think he could certainly get a, get into the discussion this coming year. Tony East with us, covers the Pacers for SI.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Tony, when I'm scouring the latest trade rumors and Toronto's name comes up, I thought it was Pacers <laughs> and OG Ananobi being the connection there. But apparently this week, uh, they're in on the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes, perhaps. You mentioned a summer of ease for somebody like Miles Turner, and he's probably still fine anyway with that. But 
in a world where the Pacers are maybe acquiring Pascal Siakam, hypothetically, how would that fit? And how legit is this in your mind? Or is it just off-season chatter? Uh, great fit. Really great player. I, I don't think people like understand Pascal very much because the Raptors were super boring last year. But like, he's six foot nine, made the All Star team, and played the three all year next to Scotty Barnes and whatever random center the Raptors happened to start that night. Um, like that, that if he could play the three for the Pacers, his skills, his creation, his defense, his size, like he'd fit really well with what they do from a zoomed out perspective. You know, the question is, and I think everybody kind of knows this is the question is. If he's only a one-year rental, like how much is that actually worth? What would that actually look like? Because the trade would be tough to come up with if it is just a rental. And you know, given his salary at nearly thirty-eight million this coming season, like one of Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, like has to be in the trade. Like just from a salary perspective, I'm not not even just like from a, a value perspective. Like you have to match salaries. Like one of them is going to be there. So coming up with the value beyond that player is really tough. Like if it's just one year, Pascal Siakam, is it? You know, that guy, another bet, a young player and two firsts, is that too much? Is it just that, that that salary piece, one more salary and a really good young player? I don't know what Toronto wants or if this is even a real thing. Uh, as for the Pacers' interest level specifically, like, yeah, I think there's some. I think a lot of teams have some because he's really good, um, and, and I think that's the case. But if he's not willing to commit long term, I don't think that any team's going to have a ton of interest. And, you know, Chris Haynes of uh, TNT and Bleacher Report put out right after the draft that – Siakam's group is like sending signals to other teams that he's not going to resign. Like he wants to stay in Toronto, he wouldn't resign anywhere else. So that certainly seems concerning if you're a team trading for him, right? Unless you are comfortable with the price anyway. And if you're the Pacers, if you're only getting him for a year, like you're not winning a championship this year. So you have to be very careful with that price. So I think he's a great player and a great fit. And if they could get him for two, three, four years, yeah, they should be willing to give up quite a bit for him. And I think they'd have a lot more interest if they knew he was willing to extend. In the absence of that, though, I think it's a really hard trade to come up with from a value that makes sense for the Pacers and the Raptors. I got Jimmy over here laughing <laughs> because <laughs> he said the Pacers aren't going to win a championship. I made a face. YouTube Jets saw it. Yes, you don't know the future, Tony East. <laughs> you know They said that about the Miami Heat getting to the finals last year, but <laughs> who ended up there? People called the Raptors or, yeah, the Raptors crazy when they went and got Kawhi Leonard. Is Pascal Siakam not the same player? He's not. But, I mean, come on, Tony. Dream. <laughs> but You know, I would like to see the last team that jumped from 35 wins to the finals. But, hey, you know what? You guys, you guys can uh, breathe in the... the you, you might get to see it. it. Who knows? Right, exactly. <laughs> Very optimistic in, in, in my neck of the woods. But, Tony, when you look at just where this team is compared to a couple years ago... And you had a chance to talk to Kevin Pritchard, you know, after the, the few of the signings and announcements that have happened in recent weeks. But how do they feel just knowing they have an identity now? And that's kind yeah. of what they struggle with for, you know, the last few years. Yeah, the Brogdon, Levert, Sabonis teams were just so identityless, right? Like, and I, I, talk, I, I feel like I talk about that almost too much, but just like there was a day at practice, I asked Brogdon and Levert both on the same day what they thought the identity of the team was. And they gave me, like, different answers. And they weren't, like, neither of them said anything that I thought was wrong. I just, like, you know, if it's not, like, abundantly clear what your team's identity is, then that, that's concerning, right? And that team wasn't very good, and they got rid of everybody. And now it's very obvious that their identity is this up-tempo team that's going to whip the ball around and play random actions and be impossible to scout. And that, that, that worked really well for them last year. And so I think that is a breath of fresh air. And it's been funny to see how that's kind of influenced what the, how the front office thinks because – 
know, last year, at the be- you know, they said in the offseason, like, yeah, we're, we're thinking long-term now, right? The short-term thinking was fine for a while. We had a lot of making of the playoffs 25 times in 31 years, but it didn't lead us where we want to be, and now we're going to think a little longer term. And lo and behold, in the first year of doing that, you know, it goes a little faster than they thought. They already have an all-star and an identity, and so all of a sudden you can think a little quicker and accelerate your timeline a little bit, which they did this summer. So I, it's been funny to see their thinking evolve as their team has evolved, but getting an identity is hard. Like, that's one of the harder parts of, like, getting a talent, talented players is, of course, important, but if they don't fit or if it doesn't make sense or there's not a way that they're going to obviously shine every game, it's still tough to win. So not only do they have a young, talented player, they obviously have an identity. I think that's really important because – they can build that way for the next six years now, right? Like, they can acquire players who fit that style until 2029. Like, that is unheard of in the NBA these days. So, I think that, yeah, it's, it's crazy how kind of fast it's happened and how much their thinking has kind of had to change given the speed of the changes of the team. But at the same time, I think it's great for them that they finally, after years of kind of floundering in that way, have an identity in a way that's clear how they want to win every game. Tony, last thing on my end, for you, as you zoom out and look at this Pacers roster and you see all the moves they've been able to make, it, one of them being, of course, Obi Toppin's arrival. And I know we saw his comments, you know, in regards to how he felt about where things went in New York and then the opportunity in front of him right now. When you look at where this roster is at, it, is this finished? Is this a complete product or are there still moves between now and training camp? Not just simple cuts or two-way deals being handed out, but trades perhaps not not even pascal siakam high level trades but just movement amongst the roster i definitely think it's possible like they've got good players or valuable at least players on the team that like might just straight up not play you know given the the number of guys they have at the two and the three you know buddy Heald, bruce brown ben matherin andrew nemhart tyrese halberton like all those guys are going to play so how is aaron neesmith going to play or if aaron neesmith plays then andrew nemhart your backup one then how's tj mcconnell going to play right like that seems like, they're both good dudes, and they'll both be good vets and not have a bad attitude, but, like, it seems like they'd have more value to another team than the Pacers, and so maybe there's something to be done there. Or, you know, Jordan Wara, like, he's behind Toppin and Jarris Walker now. Like, is he going to play? Is there a role for him? And they have three backup centers in Tice and Jackson and Smith, and now there's no minutes at the four, even, for, like, Smith and Jackson, like there have been in past seasons. So they can't all play. It's like they're all, like, valuable to the Pacers and in the right spots, and they've invested time or money into all these guys like it makes sense why they're still on the team and you definitely need injury depth to some extent but they just have a lot of guys who it feels like are are a little bit going to have a little bit smaller of a role than maybe they deserve or they've expected and so that kind of makes me think there are some smaller moves they could make with some of the names i just said if they wanted to i think jake fisher of yahoo reported last night that the suns have interest in tj mcconnell in some capacity i don't even know what that would look like but uh, you know, like those kind of names, I think the ones that if there is another move to for the Pacers to make and the DeAndre Ayton stuff happened in, you know, I think July 15th last year, like moves, the, the NBA is not done, certainly. Uh, so I don't know if they're done or not, but there's those are the names that I would look at as, you know, maybe there's some, some future things for the team to consider with those guys. Tony, I'll be remiss if I did not mention the Indiana Fever, who have two all-stars who will play in Saturday's game. Just saw that Kelsey Mitchell will be in the three-point contest Friday, I believe. Or actually, no, I'll take that back. Is that today? No, it's Thursday. It's Friday. Tomorrow. Friday. Friday. Okay, gotcha. And so um, what do you think that says about the direction of the team to have two all-stars and what needs to maybe shift for them to sort of show up more as a team in the win-loss column and get some of these wins? 
you got to love the three-point contest announcement coming uh, one day before the event. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, their, their top players are great, right? Kelsey's been, Kelsey Mitchell's fantastic. Aaliyah Boston is one of the best 10, 15 players in the league, and she's played 20 games. Like, they are clearly headed in a good direction as a result of getting Boston in the draft and Mitchell having less at the first. She's way more efficient this year than she's ever been before. They just – they're a young team. Like, their head coach, Christy Sides, is always talking about the number of players they have who are in their first or second year. I believe that number is now seven. At one point this season, it was nine. So, it, you know, it's a lot. And so young teams are generally inconsistent. And this is a boring answer, but it feels like just as they get more mature and more reps together, they'll just be better and more consistent because you can really see it, James. You know, I know you've been there. Their late-game situations is where they're the worst, and that's generally where you know teams that have been there, done that, are, are at their best, and the Fever really haven't had that yet. So they have the talent to be better. They're in a lot of games, which is way more than can be said of them in past seasons, but they've got some inconsistency in late-game stuff they've got to clean up. Well, I'll tell you what, I put a Leah Boston in three-point contest after her shot yesterday. <laughs> it's just my two cents. But that's Tony East, covers the Pacers for SI.com, covers the Fever for, I believe, Next Hoops and some other outlets as well. So, um, you know, great having you on, Tony. Tony, we'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks, guys.